Popcorn holes, welcome to Bring Your Own Popcorn. Let us preach to your choir or stoke your ire as we force our opinions into your ears. What we lack in education, we make up for with rants, raves, and ramblings. This is the undead episode of BYOP. If you pop a corn, does it die? Today we spoil World War Z to some extent and various other zombie movies. Deal with it. I'm not going to list them all. You should have already seen them. The end. This episode is inspired inspired by world War Z as opposed to being a whole conversation about it you will see that i don't have a lot to say about it <laughs> but there's so much to say about zombie culture is there not um, my expert guest on the topic is dr mandeville who has a phd in revenant studies and who in this episode repeatedly pulled me from my drowning pool of sidetracks stun silences and stuttering sleep deprivation is a harsh mistress it's sort of apt how brain-dead I am in this interview, but Dr. Mandeville more than makes up for it. Please enjoy. I'm here with zombie connoisseur Dr. Mandeville. He has a PhD in Revenant Studies. Would you like to say hello, doctor? Hello, doctor. Thank you for speaking with me today. My pleasure. We're going to be discussing, um, to some degree, World War Z. But more so, we're going to be having a and discussion inspired by World War Z concerning zombies and the apocalypse, which is why I've called you here today. Well, thank you for having me. Um, I know based on your tattoo of zombies that uh, you're a big zombie fan. Um, are you a big apocalypse? Like, are you into the whole like apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic yeah. visions? Yeah. So the general the general idea of the apocalypse is pretty intriguing to me. I mean, everything from the like surprisingly graphic depiction of the apocalypse in the bible to the almost you know depressingly you know go with uh, going out in a fizzle instead of a banged death that you'd see in movies like um the stand where people just get sick and die you know everything about the apocalypse is you know fairly entertaining awesome yeah i was reading about that today doing my my uh, half-assed research um because I am interested in the apocalypse and then zombies and where they come together is the, you know, pandemic inspired apocalypse, which is what we are emphasizing. So on the World War Z topic, uh, when did you see the movie? I saw it the night it came out. How many times did you see it? Just once? I've seen it twice. Twice. Okay. I've seen it twice too, but I have a terrible memory. So I'm actually, I've got the Wikipedia page open for it. <laughs> um, hopefully you have a better memory than I do. Um, so just tell me your thoughts on it based on your wealth of knowledge. Well, as far as zombie films are going, I think that this one was a very pleasant break from the usual. Mm. Um, it was one of those movies where you didn't have a superhero who was there to just mash zombies' heads, and mm. you didn't have the, the social commentary about consumerism or anything like that. This was a film about a really dangerous epidemic, and the zombies were not to be trifled with. I mean, a single individual zombie was a threat to everybody with their screams, and they weren't very easy to kill. Mm -hmm. And if you'll notice in the film, you don't actually see any explicit violence involving zombies being destroyed or people being torn apart. It's a film that it really emphasizes the psychological fear of the thing that you are not anymore. Yeah, very true. I actually didn't even... That part I didn't really notice, but I guess that's... That's why it has a different flavor to it than a lot of the other films. Is there's, it's not uh, as violent 
Um, but how about that teeth gnashing shit? <laughs> oh, the old, uh, awesome? uh, yeah. Oh my god, <laughs> so creepy. I think that teeth gnashing is uh, was a very interesting touch because when people are sick with certain forms of dementia and neurological disorders, mm. the tightening of the jaw and the retraction causing a chattering like motion oh. is something that's almost reflexive. In fact, a lot of times when people die from spinal injuries, they tend to clash their teeth a couple of times right oh, before wow. passing away. Oh, You'll awesome. even see stuff like that in Clive Barker's um, Hellraiser. There's a, a minion of his that has a chattering teeth who's called the chatterer. <laughs> his eyes and nose are Good name. ripped off and he just <laughs> all over oh, the place. It's that's foul. really, I don't know why, but that really like freaks me out. Something about teeth. I think that what was really also interesting about World War Z is that it uses a lot of um, like large-scale imagery rather than um, being cramped in a, a mall or an army base like some of the Dawn of the Dead films, some of the Romero films. Mm-hmm. Um, there's very wide shots of cities being overrun by very fast kind of moving things. Yeah, you see I love smoking those shots. cities. Yes, I love those. And then sometimes it's you know contrasted with a peaceful lake like towards the end of the film. Mm. And you've got images of just the darkness, the rain coming down. You see the lights of the plane in the distance. That was a lot more fear based on, you know, not being able to see the whole picture rather than being stuck in it. To be honest, I don't have a lot to say about the movie, um, which is why I wanted to have you on. Um, I thought it was very well made. Um, there were there were definitely parts of it, pretty much what you mentioned, that I really enjoyed. As far as zombie films are concerned, like, where would you rate this on your, like, top five? See, that's the thing, is that I don't have a lot of experience. The first uh, zombie film I ever saw was Shaun of the Dead. And my second one was Zombieland. And my third one was 28 Days Later, which is fucking awesome. I love that movie. Um, that's that's about it. So you were introduced via the zombie subgenre. Yes, zombie. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah um, that's good. So I mean, on on that list, it's gonna be number four out of those four <laughs> for sure. <laughs> uh, but I could tell. I felt like it did stand out as not just being a zombie movie. It had mm. its own thing going on, more of a drama than than um, than you know, just like horror. Although to some point, I felt that was to its to its detriment because um walking dead i have seen walking dead and read the books some of them um and what those books and the show really end up being about is about survival and what happens when people are up against Mm -hmm. the apocalypse and the show is really about relationships um and i thought that was something that was really missing from this movie do you know what I mean? Was the, was the relationships and people's role in survival? Yeah, it wasn't. There wasn't really. I mean, there was um, between the main character and what's her face. Mm. <laughs> there was that like bonding thing there, but it wasn't even even that wasn't really developed. Well, I think one of the interesting interesting things about that is kind of like relating to Max Brooks's original novel World War Z. Everybody plays roles, but almost to themselves. You know, like. In the book, it's done in vignettes, like little journalistic vignettes where you have some person's story of survival versus another's versus another's, whereas things like Walking Dead, the whole story is faced on one group, and I don't think that in the way that World War Z was done, you could have that character development, um, and it's probably for the better. I mean, this is looking at something that would be... uh, on a large scale, I mean, when you hear about the news and there's just thousands of families torn apart by a war or something like that, this isn't 
the new story they're going to tell you isn't about one family in Syria or something. It's going to be about the whole of it. And that's kind of like almost the point of view that you get from World War Z, the film. Brad Pitt's character in World War Z is not, the story isn't really about him. He's kind of inconsequential. He is the vehicle through which you see what's happening around the world. I mean, I think that, um, you know, they kind of direct the movie in a way that you see large scale populations at a time because um, that's what that's what the story is being told. It's not being told about uh, seven people in Georgia. It's being told about everybody everywhere. And Brad Pitt's character, I mean, he ha there's, there's a very tentative drama backstory with him and his wife and his kids being on this, this boat, and he's trying to get home and save the world. But really, you're, we're using him to see how bad the world is and how bad everything has become. Whereas... Um, in The Walking Dead, you're really getting more themes of loneliness, seclusion, and inner tension, and the relationships that are needed during survival, because it's just these people. You care about these people. You see some nameless guy getting thrashed by a zombie. He's not really, I mean, you weren't invested in him emotionally. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the huge differences between that movie and, and the show The Walking Dead, and even some of the Romero precursors. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm so glad that I had you on because I, yeah, I didn't see any of that. I just was like, I'm, you know, total zombie noob. So <laughs> you're a perfect guest. Um, That's why I got that PhD. So I know with 28 Days Later, um, it's been credited uh, with kind of bringing zombies back to the forefront of cinema um, as far as mainstream America goes, which, and that was in uh, 2002. And since then, it's just kind of been snowballing, becoming more and more popular. Uh, why do you think that is? Yeah, the last 11 years have seen a lot of um, a lot of people really jumping on what I want to say this is a zombie bandwagon. Um, you know, those zombie comedies is, that we is see. Is it a slow bandwagon or a fast one? It's absolutely shambling. <laughs> and uh, it's one of those things where you have um, – the horror films are kind of a reflection of the time. I mean, during, uh, you know, in 2002, pre we had President Bush, and we had him all the way up until, what, 2008? I do not know this. Is this correct? Should I Google? Yeah, 2000, 2008. Which, which makes sense, because according to a study that Stanford or Harvard did, yeah, it was Harvard, did uh, three years ago, during different political regimes, um, horror films kind of reflect the general populace's fear. And um, what is commonly seen during a Republican presidency is a fear of uh, consumerism and basically social cannibalism. Definitely. So this is, I mean, I have a couple of theories about it. This is the one of the ones that's kind of obvious and almost trite to say. Um, but zombies, in, during that kind of scene, a lot of them were slow, shambling, selfish. I mean, we had, we had the advent of the running zombie, which I don't think anyone had done before. Um, in the original I Am Legend, which was called Omega Man, um, you had some kind of... Well, there was, um, there was the day the world ended, and then there was Omega Man right. as well. Or and was it... No, no, I'm sorry. It was the last man on Earth. Last man on Earth, yeah. yeah. And you had uh, vaguely uh, resourceful and sort of intelligent zombies, vampire hybrids, like they were sun-sensitive and things like that. Um, those were uh, both during... Um, I think those were both during Republican presidencies as well. Let's see, 1954, so we had... Uh, 64 for Last Man, and mm -hmm. then Omega Man was 71. Yeah. And the but the book was written in 54, yeah. Right. And I don't know if you know this, but the guy who wrote that, George Matheson, um, just recently died. He actually died two weeks ago. 
Uh, Richard Matheson. Richard Matheson. Really? What did I say? Doug? George. George. <laughs> George. <laughs> Richard George Doug. They're all pretty much the same name. Pretty much. <laughs> anyway, so you end up having a lot of like, um, a lot of problems with massive amounts of people, and when people are having a hard time with e- like the economy is bad, mm-hmm. um, people are contemplating their resources and how many people there are on Earth. So there's kind of a large scale mm, very fear good point. about populace. Very good point. And then compounding that, we have the fear of uh, global warming and climate. Right. <laughs> we've had a, we've had a very cataclysmic forecast in the last th- twelve years as well. I mean, we've got problems with global warming. We have overpopulation. We have political unrest in the Middle East, really bad. Mm-hmm. We've got political unrest in the South America. Um, I mean, everything is looking fairly unfortunate. We had a lot of disease scares, like the avian mm-hmm. flu, swine flu, mm-hmm. um, West Nile virus. H one N one was that the same as avian flu? Uh, it was one of the two. Mm-hmm. I think it was either that or swine flu. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you have. And the media, like, they love it. They just go, oh, hey, you're going to get sick. <laughs> you don't, it doesn't matter what you do. If you stay home, you're going to get sick with something at your home. I swear, like, every every time I've ever watched the news, they always say, like, something in your home could kill you tonight. News at 11. Tune in at 7. Yeah, yeah. fucking 11. You, yeah, you know, by the time you actually see the news, you're probably already infected. <laughs> you know? Who knows what's on that sponge that you're using right now? <laughs> I see you right now using that sponge. So I think that the zombie... Um, the zombie film has really kind of boosted up from like the world's general fascination and, and almost like denied self-denial paranoia. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, uh, not only, not only, uh, not only that, but um, I was reading about the, the upsurge in just horror in general Mm -hmm. after large events. And for us, the, the most recent one I think was Mm 9-11 a long time ago now, but, um, other than that, like we haven't had that kind of thing happen here as much besides uh, natural disasters. Yeah. Um, and after that, like for example, 28 Days Later was the year after that, and there was a bunch of more horror films as well as the zombie. Yeah, uh, the se- the second golden age of horror films really was, uh, well the first one was really following World War II mm-hmm. after the world had seen what essentially was probably the biggest horror that they'd seen before that was, yeah. you know, you had a nuclear bomb, and then before that you had after World War One, you had a lot of the old Bela Lugosi. You had the Boris Karloff films. Um, those were really personal psychological uh, evaluations. I mean, you've got man playing God with Frankenstein. You've got the evils of seduction with Dracula. Um, the fear of Egyptians in mu- The Mummy, <laughs> which we still have these days, apparently. <laughs> um, but then you started getting monsters that were radioactive and aliens coming after World War II because there was a lot of rumors about what was going on in the, uh, the Third Reich and um, the Fifth Pillar. Right. And then after Vietnam, we had our 70s horror films, which was where you'd see like Dawn of the Dead, the, you know, the sequel to Romero's Night of the Living Dead. Mm-hmm. Um, you see a lot of the other 70s kind of monster horror films like Aliens and things like that. And it, w- it doesn't surprise me at all that after 9-11, we have another upsurge of absolute horror films. It's unfortunate a lot of them are remakes, but it just kind yeah. of <laughs> underlines the Most same fears we had when the originals came out. I mean, during the Cold War, we, we had a lot of the slasher monsters come out, like Freddy and Jason, mm. and these were the s- those are the same fears we have now, which is why they've been remade. I mean, after, after Vietnam, we were afraid of our, ourselves, our neighbors, everything. After 9-11... There's that same paranoia and our own self-destruction. Mm-hmm. So Definitely. It makes a lot of sense to me, I guess. Mm-hmm. Plus, horror films are cheap to make, so you can put a lot of them out, and you know, if you lose out on that, you don't lose out on a lot of money. True. 
I'm going to be honest. I, in addition to not having much of a background in zombie or horror knowledge, um, although I do have a fascination with uh, everyone dying around me, a.k.a. the apocalypse um, and survivalism, um, I am on my ninth day of working in a row, and I got a couple hours of sleep last night. And So you're a I, zombie. I'm a bit of a zombie, and now that I think about it, I've not eaten too much today and i'm also very hot which is not the way that i would choose to go in my apocalypse it wouldn't be hot despite the indications that that's going to happen due to global blah blah global warming um yeah (laughs) freezing (laughs) um so basically i'd like to turn the reins over to you doctor um as you are the expert you have the phd and i merely have a sleep deprivation well, I mean, that could be pretty valuable. It seems to me like you have a <laughs> uh, a personal connection at this point. How How's your pulse? Uh, can't feel anything. I don't know. If I were to offer you uh, a slice of mozzarella or a slice of brain, which one are we choosing <laughs> at this point? Dude, both. Brain, cheese sandwich, grilled. You know, they have that at the Nugget panini. now. Panini. Brain yeah. panini. The brain, the brain panini now brain at the Nugget. It's $11. Awesome. It's really good. It's a good deal. I mean, if you can cut it in half, you can split it into two meals. That's true. Mm. But uh, you'd have to find one other sleep-deprived and or somnambulant friend. No, no, no. I'll put it in my uh, lunchbox for tomorrow. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. Do they have, a, uh, do they have a, a fridge in the break room where you work? Uh, it's not in the break room. It's uh, in the back of the back place because mm. I'm good with words. Um, it's actually really gross. It's like a tub and it's like grimy. It's at the bottom of a fridge and, and you can't use any of the other shelves. You can only use the tub at the bottom, which is like covered and <laughs> it looks like something out of Invader Zim or like a Jonan Vasquez panel with, uh, you know, like with all the like. I would like to see Jonan Vasquez do a, a zombie film or a zombie yeah. cartoon or something. I think totally. that his style would be really good. He hasn't touched on that so much, has he? I don't know. Is that something do you think Im- uh, interests him? I think the only time I ever seen anything Jonah Vasquez that had a vaguely zombie look to it is there's a, a nightmare that Squee has in mm. uh, the big uns- book of unspeakable horrors, whatever. Horrors. Yeah. And all of the students are learning th- that incorrectly that Columbus discovered America in 1942, <laughs> and and Squee tries to correct them. It's 1492, and they all uh-huh. look at him and they have kind of a hissy zombie blank eye stare. Yes. I uh, I took that page and took it to Kinko's when I was fourteen and made a made a copy a photocopy like with on like fancy paper and then hung it up on my wall and I dreamed that one day I'd have him sign it. See, even even then you had some interest in zombies. You didn't even know it. Definitely. Well, I mean, any any outcast or misfit has an interest in that, and as far as seeing other people as mm-hmm. that something that you are not a part of and yeah. don't understand. And I think I think that probably. If you were to go to a movie theater tonight and see a zombie film, you would probably see a lot less, you know, jock-looking fellows who are going to go <laughs> see the latest monster film, mm. or you know, they're going to go see. They're all going the Blindside Four or grown something. Grown Ups Two right now, actually. Yeah, Grown Ups Two. Oh, Surprisingly, God. I know. You know, <laughs> that to me is a form of zombieism. I think, <laughs> totally. Honestly, to be able to go to see an Adam Sandler movie and Kevin James film and still be able to laugh in earnest, it <laughs> <laughs> makes me doubt your. Uh, full brain development, but you know, I think that I think that because there's so many zombie stories, you can still tell. 
there's probably a lot of people out there like filmmakers and cartoon producers and, and authors and writers who could really come up with some good stuff because I mean even though we have good stuff now but, like there is some absolute garbage out there mm, there sure is <coughs> that's probably at least partially why zombies uh, didn't really used to interest me and they they honestly don't still and people think that I'm people think that I'm like into zombies like people will buy me like mm -hmm. zombie Got that look. stuff um, like the I have a an ice tray in my freezer that's brains um, <laughs> and various other stuff wait did you say I have that zombie look I mean I, that's that's just the dark that, circles in my eyes somebody that the, would enjoy zombies the lack of sunlight but yeah. um <laughs> Uh, it's not the zombies, but the 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 apocalyptic thing, uh, survivalism, and um, uh, having a a common enemy, um, something to fight against. Because uh, in in a scenario where it's it's apocalypse, where it's a uh, natural disaster or what have you, there's not necessarily something you can unite against. Um, and that's what appeals to me about it. Not so much the folklore and everything of zombies although speaking of that what do you know about the origins of zombieism in, as far as like haiti and, and voodoo go so the the haitian zombie with the voodoo bokor and mm -hmm. the the law and stuff like that you know yeah. it's it's one of those things where like it's almost silly to talk about now because we know scientifically what it was they were up to i mean essentially do we essentially us, they had a um they derived a powder out of uh, out of a tetrodotoxin. It's a poison that they find in pufferfish mm -hmm. and um, anything that has like a skin poison. For the most part, has tetrodotoxin. Mm -hmm. And when you dry, for example, in this case, pufferfish, and you dry their skin out, and turn it into a powder, and mix it with uh, I, they mix it with a lot of superfluous herbs, but they would mix it with other things as a base, mm -hmm. and they blow it. And people who inhale it would normally be paralyzed almost to the point where they thought that they were dead. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people believe that that's similar to what they use as the sleeping draft or the draft of death in uh, Romeo and Juliet. Mm. Um, and for the most part, when people came back from the Haitian law, they would uh, basically be incredibly brain damaged and highly susceptible to suggestion. Mm -hmm. um, I heard something about they would sometimes give them detura or some derivative of... Detura, yeah. So that's that's a uh, glycoalkaloid poison. It's like what is in nightshade um, potatoes. The poison is called solanine. Mm, potatoes. And they actually talk about that in um, they talk about that in the zombie survival guide. They originally call it a oh. uh, uh, a solanism type of, of disease. So I thought that was kind of I thought that was clever. But um, mm. solanine, for the most part, if you ingest a lot of it, causes liver failure. Um, but yeah, if, if you see like a French fry that's got green in it, that's that's solanine, unfortunately. Yeah, I've seen that. But yeah, <laughs> zombie French fry. <laughs> zombie fries coming to a theater near you. If only, if only that's how we could take them out, and you know who I mean. Them. McDonald's French fries. <laughs> I think that would take care of a lot of things. The biggest cure. When's the last time you had a McDonald's French fry? Uh, to be perfectly honest, last week. Be perfectly back. honest. Oh Jesus! Oh, I know. I I saw because. Uh, a customer the other day went to like get out her credit card to pay me and um and I do mean at the movie theater. Yeah. Uh a bunch of those little tickets <laughs> <laughs> fell out. She was like, Oh, I'm sorry. I was playing a game and I was like, Oh, is that back? Yeah. And we bonded. I was in Tahoe. Nothing looked good but McDonald's and sand, I guess. Sand and McDonald's were in the same <laughs> same quality, I guess. Um Have you seen uh, The Serpent and the Rainbow? 
Serpent and the Rainbow. I have not. I can't enunciate. Do you know what that is? It sounds like a strip club. <laughs> In addition to being that, <coughs> um, the movie Serpent and the Rainbow is based on a book. Um, the movie's directed by Wes Craven. The book was by a dude named Wade Davis, mm. who is an ethnobotanist and a researcher um, who investigated Haitian voodoo and the process of making zombies. Um, it sounds like, from what I was reading, a lot of people didn't take him very seriously, and they kind of tried to discount his scientific data. I don't know. Do you know anything about that? Yeah. Um, so f- people who are ethnobotanists tend to uh, attempt to put puzzle pieces back together um, based on historical accounts. So, I mean, it takes a very great amount of data involving... Um, what is it called? Uh, anthropology and botany, and you put those two disciplines together, and you can kind of pick out a picture of things from the past. However, um, a lot of other botanists kind of chalk that up to the same thing as zoologists chalk up cryptozoology. You know, uh, you have you have patterns in primate evolution. Is okay. My Latin is a little shabby. Is cryptozoology the study of zombie animals? It's the zombie. Uh, it's the zombie. It's the study of. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing Sorry. off on you. <laughs> it's the study of potentially mythical animals. Um, it's also extinct animals and stuff like that. Uh, cool. But people who look for Bigfoot are called cryptozoologists Badass. and things like that. So it is a real job. People do get paid to do this. Awesome. Um, and sometimes it comes to fruition. Like, for example, the coelacanth, which was thought to be extinct for yeah. 100 years or whatever. They just found that. And it was... Uh, they were surprised. Same you can find it if you fish in the ocean when it's raining at night, I think. In Animal Crossing? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, I'm familiar with that. <laughs> it's also how you get a lot of money bags by shaking trees um, yeah. over here in the park. Um, but yeah, uh, you have that option. And then there's cryptobotanists who look for you know plants that have the, the meaning of life in them or whatever. The uh-huh. Fountain of Youth is supposed to be tree sap. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys saw that maybe the fountain where... Mm-mm. Hugh Jackman takes a huge load in the face from a tree. I like all those words together. What? <laughs> <laughs> Once again, for the audience at home. <laughs> it's actually funny you mentioned that. I was taking a class at Davis, and um, I was taking a class called uh, Plant Science and Neurotoxins. And <clears throat> it was an environmental toxicology class, and they did bring up the serpent in the rainbow. And uh, they did talk about Wade Davis. And even though he did contribute quite a bit to the anthropological side of Haitian voodoo, he has been slammed a lot in the botany circles because he got a little too involved with it. And I believe I believe there was some controversy, too, that he was bringing illegal things back to the United States. Mm. But I can't remember the details on that. Well, I know supposedly he dug up, like, a kid or something that dead child to like uh test their skin to see if they had mm. the tetra tetradoxin tetradoxin yeah stuff in them. yeah you have to be it's it's the sad thing about that is with some of them it's it's uh a deep tissue uh residue i guess so like when you eat when you eat puffer fish you end up mostly just having organ failure so <laughs> mm-hmm but yeah, digging up kids is generally frowned upon in most societies. <laughs> generally. Um, however, if you do plant a block of ramen and water it with natural light, it grows a college student. <laughs> that is uh, crypto botany right there. I, I remember your, your day of birth. 
I yeah. remember I remember it well. Just out here in this in this uh vacant lot. <laughs> Don't reveal our location. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, by a Fuddruckers. <laughs> <laughs> uh so th- I think the part of zombie lore um where I ever start to get interested is probably right about the uh, the time of The Last Man on Earth and I Am Legend where it splits off from being just horror to being survivalism and apocalypse stuff um before we move on to that i was sort of watching white zombie today which is considered to be the first zombie film i believe that's a good one 1932 have you seen it yeah bella lugosi Mm -hmm. great film yeah but one of my favorite things about that is that the guy's name is murder yes that's pretty metal it's pretty clever um i do like that it mixes a little bit of supernatural uh, kind of feel to it with um, the Haitian the Haitian lore as well mm-hmm. um, that they refer to the way he looks at people as his voodoo eyes mm-hmm. and um, incidentally Charles Manson actually used to mention that when his eyes got really intense he said he could feel the voodoo eyes oh great but um, insofar those have not been uh, effective in a <laughs> clinical trial <laughs> though we have noticed that dramatic Don't eyes do dream, cause though. anxiety so Mm, I know all about that. Yeah. But White Zombie is really good. I think that it's one of those films that doesn't really contribute a whole lot to society. Um, It is just a a film about scaring. Um, You don't think, I mean, how much influence do you think it had on the films thereafter? You know, it was a good, it was a good starting point. It had the same effect that a um, diving board has on a swimmer's lap, I feel. (laughs) You know, you have to start somewhere. It gives you an idea. It gives you direction. Uh Uh-huh. Um, there's not really any incidents of cannibalism in that film. Um, there is kind of a the the feel of a mass amount of people under a zombie type state. I mean, he has a whole plantation of zombies. Um, there may have been a little commentary there about slavery, mm. um, but the the film almost doubles. Yeah, as definitely. There was definitely commentary about slavery. Yeah. Yeah, it, and it's almost funny that they used Bela Lugosi because in Dracula the plot's very similar. You have turn it off there's a the plot's very similar where um you have a main character who's pining after someone else's love and or you know the main antagonist stealing someone's love and then you have the protagonist who's trying to get back at him but instead of vampires you have zombies and mm. instead of weird sisters you have uh more zombies <laughs> um and to skip ahead a little the mm. film which partially makes me so not qualified to speak of these things that I have not seen. Um, I said that sentence like in a really roundabout manner. Night of the Living Dead. I haven't seen it. Uh, what can you say about it? Well, that's actually what my tattoo is based on is the cover art from that film and some oh, of the cool. imagery. Um, Night of the Living Dead was very interesting because it it does combine a few different types of paranoias that were going on in uh, the United States at the time. Um, there was still a lot of the a lot of the paranoia about the Cold War, a lot of paranoia about um, Cold War. There was the Civil Rights Movement was, was still kind of in effect during this, and the, uh, one of the protagonists in that film is an African-American member of that community. And, <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I remember, I remember reading about that and Political how he ends, up being, he ends up being like the last He's guy, right? He's the last guy to survive As opposed in. to the first guy nowadays. Yeah, which is, I guess, the irony. He's paying for it for the last one, but he does get <laughs> shot at the end of the film. Right. Um, he pokes his head out the window and everyone's like, oh, damn. <laughs> so um, 
that film was very interesting in the sense that it was one of the first explicitly explicitly violent cannibal zombie films. Our producer just completely derailed us with his profanity. I won't speak of it. And uh, it it was Romero. It made a Romero an icon. That really, I mean, that sunk him into the American film culture forever. Um, it's funny because the movie wasn't critically received very largely until a few years after it got yeah. a cult following. Yeah. A zombie following. Mm. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh, okay, so then... That's out of the way. Yeah. Um, so what appeals to me, to move on from the zombie thing and get, out, get to the thing that appeals to me, which is the apocalypse part of it, um, what appeals to me about it is the the survivalism which um i like getting away from just the mundane and trivial things that we that is our lives as westerners um whenever i go camping i I feel like i am in a different life because everything just looks so different and and everything at home feels so insignificant like it just changes everything and i imagine in the apocalypse you you worry a lot less about you know your your books being straight on your bookshelf and and getting that last dvd in your collection and just it completely changes what's important all your priorities get reordered and that's something that really appeals to me because probably because i'm an anxious person and and there's so there's such a huge list of things that i that i care about being just right and in reality none of them really matter um and then the human relationship thing, too, because uh, I don't always have the best time making connections with people beyond a surface connection. Um, and then the other times there's people that I want to make a, more of a connection with, and there's just no opportunity to do so. Um, and in that case, you'd be forced to, because you'd have to band together, survive, make your way. Um, and then it just feels kind of badass to like be running around with a machete, which is what happens in my mind. Uh, it, what about, if anything, is there that appeals to you about the apocalypse? Well, Idea. I think I think you touched on it there too. Is that it's our daily lives are full of a lot of rules and law. We are like pretty much bound by. Uh, we have social norms that are put on us as imaginary rules by our society. We have like the law that's put on us by sort of an invisible kind of figurehead to us. And then we have our own personal rules, things that we, we say we never do or that we don't do because we don't think it's right. And those all kind of play off of each other. In the apocalypse, you're, you're reborn. The, the, the literal translation of apocalypse means the, um, the removal of the veil is what the apocalypse means. Like the Latin translation when you... It's... Um, it's it's a midwestern or midwest middle really? eastern language. Oh really? Um it's it's actually used only once in the Bible. Mm. And it comes from a word that's um I believe Hebrew for the removal of the veil. Awesome. And, I love that. Yeah. And it's supposed to be that at the dawning of the apocalypse the reality that everybody like the reality of the world what who everybody is is to be shown. So, yes, exactly. That's exactly what I like about it. So I think that you as a person, and I'm sure you're not alone in this, you're waiting to be able to be who you are, who you really are. Yes, absolutely. Because, I mean, every, humans are animals, you know. 
and society has put turned this into something kind of fake. I have a. I wrote down a couple quotes while I was doing my shitty last-minute research. Um, one of them that I really liked from Jean-Paul Sartre. I'm not going to really try to do the accurate pronunciation there. Um, from, oh God, it's not from No Exit. I think it's from the introduction to um, some other book. He just wrote this. Um, and he said, Turn and turn about. In these shadows from whence a new dawn will break, it is you who are the zombies. Which is, I think, essentially what we were getting at and he even throws in the word zombies there so added points ties it all together um, and then the end of i think this is kind of similar the end of um i am legend the book uh i haven't read it but i was reading about it um he realizes The, what are essentially the zombies start a new society and he becomes the outcast, whereas originally it was the other way around. Um, and it, it ends with him saying that he realizes he's he is a new superstition entering the unassailable fortress of forever. Uh, I believe it ends with the sentence, I am legend, or at least uh, that's like his last thought before he succumbs to the drugs that the new society has given him. Are you familiar with that, yeah. that book at all? That actually reminds me a lot of a conspiracy theory Keanu Reeves poster I saw where it's, <laughs> what if we were all started as zombies and there was a human apocalypse? Oh my God, that's so awesome. <laughs> Wait, what does this have to do with Keanu Reeves? <laughs> well, there's a picture of Keanu Reeves making, and uh, the people listening can't see this face, but it's kind of a, whoa, <laughs> face. I'm sure everyone knows. Yeah, if you heard that it whoa sound, you know, you know the face. I do. If you don't know who Keanu Reeves are, go under a rock and back where you belong. <laughs> I had a huge crush on him after The Matrix came out. Had, yeah. had a big old poster of him. And then I started like trying to see every movie that he was in. So many a happy night of watching Bill and Ted. Yeah. Bill and Ted, his finest work. <laughs> but it's, it is known. But that makes but you know, that's a good point though. We we fear the unknown and it's a very good possibility that we were something else's unknown. I mean we didn't all become humans at the same time. There were things that preceded us. Uh, woolly mammoths, for example. <laughs> Potentially big feet. <laughs> That's the plural Bigfoot, correct? Bigsfoot? Standers by? But, you know, and we, I think we secretly look forward to what's, what's going to be rid of us so that we can, we can be something else as animals. Mm -hmm. So we don't have to deal with rules anymore. Very true. Uh, one of my coworkers was mentioning something about um, about the whole idea appealing to our prey instinct. Any thoughts on that? Being prey, or yeah, because I mean, well, I mean, I guess humans are more traditionally, or uh, not traditionally. Um, I'm not a scientist, but I know that animals that have the eyes facing outwards are usually predators. So I suppose we are more of a predatory animal, generally, such as owls and tigers and Correct. lions and bears. Oh, my. Um, Except for Marty Feldman. I don't understand your <laughs> reference, but I appreciate it. Do you, do you know who he is? <laughs> no, I don't. Igor from Young Frankenstein. Ah. Oh, <laughs> nice. My apologies to everybody. <laughs> no. Wow. No. Good stuff. Um. Yeah, so predators had the eyes in the front. Right. Um, but I mean, still, like, we, b 
back in the day, back in my day, we still were running from the, the tigers and everything because once we became bipedal, we lost a lot of our speed and uh, balance um, because our bone structure is not really intended for bipedalism because you look at, you know, chimps who tend to uh, be a little bit more quadrupedal. Um so when we lost that, that probably almost made us more of a prey animal and we only got saved from that by using tools and such. Um, but any thoughts about, about how the apocalypse appeals to our, our instinct as prey? Yeah, yeah, I want to address that. Um, for, for a lot of different organisms, their survival instincts usually derive from what their strengths are. Um, and for... Things that are soft like us, we're soft creatures compared to in the, on the great scheme of things. We don't have sharp claws. We don't have very sharp teeth. So we're kind of in the same boat as the octopus, which is a very soft, Aww. very, you know, potentially adorable animal, depending <laughs> on who you ask. But they're incredibly intelligent. Um, we can blend in with our surroundings almost as well as anything. We have, you know, the ingenuity to do such. Mm-hmm. But when it's on a physical, you know, hand-to-hand thing i mean we lose to stuff that's in our backyard i mean i <laughs> you can get bit by a black widow and be in a lot of trouble and they're tiny they're very soft briar patch briar patch thorny bushes yeah um a curb <laughs> i've seen gravel I've seen many when people taking, lose to these things when i'm taking out the garbage barefoot because i think it'll be okay because it's only 50 feet away yeah and then cut and you to burn me your in feet. tears i did do that once yeah in the summer, I thought I could, I went to meet a friend in the park and it was like a three minute walk, but it was a hundred degree day and I had blisters on my feet for weeks. Yeah. 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 You could take me down easy. In North America alone, I mean, we've got, we have everything from giant wolves to bears to coyotes and everything kind of in between. We got a lot of wet things <laughs> that live under other wet things. <laughs> and a lot of those are poisonous <laughs> or just disgusting. So yeah, um, when we look at the apocalypse, that's us getting doing our last bit of animal being animals. Uh, what do you mean by that? Well, right now we pretty much—I mean—we run the world. We have everything. Like we will rule the world. We rule the world this fall. Thank you. Um, <laughs> the, I mean, our our structures, our society, everything keeps us pretty safe. But when everything that we rely on to be safe starts to fall apart, it gives us that. The fighting again. It gives mm, us the fighting instinct. Yeah. Like now Rome. you have that sympathetic nerve or whatever your sympathetic cortex. You can either fight or fly. Mm-hmm. And the people who do not look forward to the apocalypse are the ones who lean towards the fly. I think. Mm. And those of us who who have something that we want to prove to ourselves, prove to society, we we have the fight instinct. We're looking for a. We're looking for that challenge, something out of the norm, because yes. humans are complacent. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, complacency is something that I fear. Um, that I force myself to do things that scare me, um, and do things alone and stuff like that. So yes, very much so. If I had to, um, you know, sometimes people ask you like, what's something that you fear? And for me, it's not stuff like the dark or cockroaches. Okay, wait, it's funny that I said that because I'm afraid of cockroaches. Uh, but something that like the ultimate fear. <laughs> Like something that you're truly afraid of, like almost to the point of phobia, almost. It would definitely, I think, be complacency for me. Nothing, none of the traditional like zombies or werewolves or anything like that. 
It's the number one killer in America. Completely <laughs> it's second only to broccoli. <laughs> Wait. Don't be ragging on broccoli. It, broccoli is a dangerous vegetable. Why is it dangerous? It People choke on it. I've heard. It's the most highly choked on vegetable on the planet. Did you hear about that study they did where they... Uh, they did the um, a survey, I think, of college students where they had them sign a petition to like outlaw this substance, and they had like the chemical name for it. And in the end, it turned out to be water. Dihydrogen oxide, was correct. It, was it air or water? It was it was water. They said you know it kills thousands of people a year. One hundred percent of people who use this chemical will die. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Responsible for billions in damage to property. Get rid of dihydrogen oxide. <laughs> Third most dangerous thing after broccoli. <laughs> I love it. Um, you know, there's Chinese broccoli, too. It looks like asparagus, oh, but it delicious. has the broccoli thing at the end of it. So it's <laughs> it's like the scorpion version of broccoli. If broccoli was a spider, this is the scorpion. Scorpion broccoli. <laughs> <laughs> and that's science, ladies and gentlemen. I'm a, I'm a doctor. Science with Dr. Mandeville. <laughs> Take that to your Wade Davis ethnobotany. <laughs> the scorpion broccoli. In its natural environment. Um, So my favorite apocalypse film, I think, off the top of my head, is probably 12 Monkeys. I also really love um, Blade Runner, obviously. It's fucking amazing. I don't Mm. know if it's strictly an apocalypse film, but it's a dystopic dystopic, dystopia, and I love that shit. What about you? Um, I do love 12 Monkeys. I think that Brad Pitt and Bruce Willis are amazing in that movie. And uh, Brad Pitt's crazy heterochromia going on whenever his one eye is gigantic <laughs> yes. was a fantastic effect. <laughs> yeah. um, reminds me very much of a gentleman who used to vi- frequent my retail outlet. <laughs> um, it's good to have one of those. And I like that it is foreshadowing. I th- it's almost like watching the news every day, but instead of it just being bogus stuff that we disprove a week later, it just gets progressively worse every time he goes into the future. So that's mm-hmm. kind of nice. Um, my favorite apocalypse film is probably the original... Yeah, the original Dawn of the Dead, the one came out in 76. Mm. Um, though, if it was a non-zombie film, my favorite apocalypse film would probably have to be... God, how many times am I going to say film? Mm. Um, movie would probably be uh, Armageddon. Cinema Venture. My favorite uh, cinematic uh, representation of the apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> did you say Armageddon? I did say Armageddon. Oh, um, I don't... I think I saw that once when I was nine, and I don't think I've seen it since then. It's, it's good? It's the It's, it's the one thing that keeps me from writing Michael Bay out of history and because it is a Michael Bay film and it is a lot of uh, things exploding mm. but it also has Aerosmith which was pretty cool yeah. and it's is got it? <laughs> <laughs> and it's got Steve Buscemi on a machine gun which he is also is cool. awesome Shit. and uh, and it's got Owen Wilson so that's nice mm. was that an Owen Wilson voice or was that just yeah, you like trekking. adjusting your neck no my neck is kind of itchy I haven't shaved in a day <laughs> um <laughs> I was just, I was just talking about Owen Wilson today, actually. Um, yeah, just yeah. now I heard you. Arm- yeah. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Were you there just now? What if I was always talking about him <laughs> and I just now realized it? Whoa. Um, but I like the idea of a meteorite coming out of nowhere and um, or a giant asteroid and the the planet being in serious danger and there are casualties, but we kind of prevail because then it leaves you wondering, like, well, how are we going to pick up after this? Mm. You know, I'd like to see what the people are going to be saying, because Rome very visibly gets destroyed in this film. Mm. And <laughs> I wonder, you know, what they're going to do about Catholicism. I mean, clearly the Pope and all of his friends are gone. Mm. You know, you see Jerusalem. That sounds like a, that sounds like a children's show. Yeah. The Pope and all his friends. BBC. The Pope and all his friends. <laughs> <laughs> With Michael Newcastle. 
hello, I'm the Pope and all of his friends. <laughs> and um, you see you see Jerusalem get nailed, so it takes out a lot of the other Judeo-Christian religions. Mm, so I don't know. It's, it's a silly film. It's very funny. I like silly. And it's, I don't think it's supposed to be taken very seriously. There is drama in it, but it's very, like, I feel tongue-in-cheek. Mm. So is it, I honestly don't remember, is it almost like a Starship Troopers kind of thing? Um, Kind of. It's kind of got that, like, oh, man, things are bad. <laughs> well, let's get some badasses involved. And badasses cure everything. Like, mm. you know, it's like salt on a cucumber. Just or maybe, um, did you see, ooh, did you see <laughs> Pacific Rim? Yet? I haven't seen it yet. I'm so sad. But I love Guillermo okay. del Toro. Okay, I'll, I'll take you to see it. I just made his word, his name one word. Guillermo <laughs> del Toro. That's what I do too. I always feel like I'm having a stroke whenever I say his name, and I'm afraid someone's gonna call me out and be like, "That's not how you say it." It's like it. saying judicial system, like judicial in a conversation. System. Judicial yeah. system. You gotta bounce the judicial system. Oh God, <laughs> how much have I drunk today? Um, that one's really good. I also really, uh, I think that Starship Troopers kind of accounts as an apocalypse film because people get pretty much laid to waste mm-hmm. by bugs. Bugs. bugs, damn bugs. Yeah. So you would say that Armageddon's your favorite apocalypse film? Not my. Or, or your, I'm sorry, not your favorite apocalypse film. Your favorite apocalypse um, event would be a meteor. My, my, my well, my favorite non-zombie. Yeah. All oh, right. Because mm-hmm. yeah, I mean I, I, that makes sense because then uh, you get to kind of pick up and, and move mm-hmm. on because it's not like mm-hmm. their meteors are continuous. Yeah. Um, having just one big event, then there's not necessarily radiation. Uh, and a disease ravaging everyone. I mean, I would say Sharkano, where the, there's a volcano full of sharks, but I'm not Sharknado. actually entirely sure that's a movie. Sharknado is in. Sharknado is one. Sharknado. There's Sharkacane or Hurry Shark. Sharkacane. I, th- I think that I think that anything involving a massive amount of sharks, sharks is good. Sharks on a plane. Sharks on a plane would be <laughs> egregious, but also welcome. Sharktopus. Maybe um, a, an alien rift um, that's unleashing giant sharks. Signs was also pretty good as far as a potential apocalypse. It was kind of a... a Did you say Science? That movie Signs oh, with Science. Uh, Mel Gibson. It was a science. apocalypse yeah. interrupted oh film. I love that movie. Um, I like that the aliens decided to invade a planet that was 75% water and they were deathly allergic to it. That was <laughs> super planning. Super bright. I wonder if they've ever worked at... Never mind, I'm not going to go there. Where? Where do you think, where do you think they worked? The, 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 ri- the aliens who made that terrible planning? Yeah. Potentially a beloved like hardware store in a potentially beloved university town, <laughs> where planning is not like a priority. <laughs> I'm just saying. Oh, I've never been there. You want to give it a, like a a, yeah. a a ten year, five year, ten year, twenty year? Oh, um, wait, After a hundred years. <laughs> See the transparent monkeys. <laughs> oh my God, we'll ride giraffes through <laughs> North America. Okay, you can't say this shit and not be on the show. Um, producer, what would your favorite favorite um, apocalypse, ideal apocalypse be? Well, my favorite apocalypse media uh, thing, to be specific and eloquent, would be the metalocalypse, which is when a death metal band becomes so popular that they become everything the entire world is based on, the economy, everything that fans of theirs kill themselves if you know, their records stalled and their concerts lay waste to thousands and thousands of people. Statistically speaking, eventually they will destroy the entire earth. But, you know, it's all for the uh, love of rock and roll, right? Sounds like a fun time. Oh, that was beautiful! <laughs> <laughs> Don't you stop. Um, so as far as my favorite 
like idea of, of apocalypse would be. I, I guess I ha- honestly don't really have one. When I am thinking about it, I'm thinking about what I actually think is going to happen and not what would be fun times like um, metal and happy asteroid times, um, which is I think it's going to be climate change, uh, which I predict happening within the next. Well, like as far as the beginning of it, I think has already begun. Um, just f- like blackouts and, and the uh, natural disasters um, they do think I don't know if you know anything about climate science I don't really but they do think that a lot of the, the increase in, in natural disasters right now is definitely due to um, climate change whether or not it's man made or not I don't care it's happening it doesn't really matter why um, but it does matter what we want to do to address it which seems to be nothing for the most part. Um, so I think that's already beginning and we're already having to deal with that a little bit, but I foresee it happening more and more. Um, and obviously to some point it's not predictable because I think there's, I think there's going to be a natural disaster at one point that's going to really kick us in the nuts. Um, unfortunately it's not going to be until it really gets America again. Cause it's, I mean, it's hitting other countries and we kind of are just like, oh, here's 10 bucks, you know? Um, so I would counter that by saying that I think our technology to provide comfort for ourselves, mm-hmm. our levy technology, our ability to build better insulated houses will keep us comfortable s- longer than the our like our medicine, the way our medicine is evolving right now and the bacteria and viruses that are uh, evolving against it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we already have medically medical resistant staph yeah. infections. Mm-hmm. We have um, smallpox coming back. We have uh, polio coming back. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have measles, mumps, and rubella, which people are refusing to vaccinate their children because they believe it causes. Um, they they think it causes autism, mm-hmm. um, which is currently scientifically unfounded, but still is a large enough population of people who are not vaccinating their children. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you have a lot of secondary infections caused by surgeries in hospitals because hospital cleanliness is not being attain like it used to be because most bacteria are resistant to the chemicals we use to get rid of them. Right. I would be unsurprised if a current virus that we, or bacteria that we have now that we are fairly uh, resistant to gets worse and worse to the point where we're getting killed by things like regular staph infection, um, super polio, um, super flu. It's a word that the media keeps throwing around, but I believe that there's, possibly something to it because viruses are going to continue to fold. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that there's a lot of research on nanotechnology to fight that. Mm-hmm. Um, nanomedicine is kind of big right now, but we can only go so fast and it's always going to been a neck and neck arms race between us and the little things that kill us. Oh yeah, definitely. Do you, so do you think that that's going to uh, bite us in the ass before the climate does? I think that'll kill us before Mother the climate earth. does. Really? Um, the problem, here's the problem with the earth and as far as, Uh, severe climate change is concerned Um, it moves in almost like if you were to look at the spectrum of hot and cold um, right now and it has been this way since the end of the ice age the spectrum um, of hot and cold on the uh, lifespan of for like what's uh, (laughs) what's sustainable for human beings Ah. and and our current our current environment since the ice age ended we've been on a very stable center area and every, even though we are um, experiencing hotter than average temperatures, we have been for the last 10 years, mm-hmm. it's very possible that 
in the next 10 years will be experiencing colder than average or whatever. Right. Until the the sine wave gets wider and wider until we're getting incredible extremes. Uh, and that mm-hmm. takes decades and decades and decades. Right. And, I mean, we're not even supposed to have... You know, after 2.8 billion years, the sun's going to kill us before the weather does. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the time frame is... is to borrow a, a British word, squiffy. Squiffy. That's Whereas an excellent word. we have a very exponential graph of um, diseases uh, that come and go. I mean, even looking at our current globalization of travel and the how like bad parasites are in yeah. third world countries. I mean, people in America have been getting pinworms. No, I guess um, as far as climate goes, it's not that I foresee. Uh, extreme temperatures being a problem or like the the gradualness of it mm-hmm. gradualness is that a word um but more i foresee there being some big event that we're just not going to know how to deal with like mm-hmm. katrina we looked so stupid trying to deal with that are you familiar with what yellowstone national park actually is no yellowstone national park is the world's largest volcano oh and it erupted six hundred eighty thousand years ago uh they say it may have been responsible for the missoula flood which provided like water to all the lakes and rivers in the North America. Oh, cool. <clears throat> and if it were to erupt again, the entire Northern Hemisphere would be blanketed in ash. Nice. I think I do remember reading about that. Somehow I forgot. And I'm, I shouldn't have because that's awesome. They don't know if it would be the kind that shoots shit up or if it's the kind that <laughs> sucks land down. <laughs> Suits shit up or sucks shit down. Yeah, so either the Sierra Nevada is going to be really tall or they're going to be blanketed in liquid hot magma. Mm. <laughs> Also, Crater Lake is still a volcano. Mm. Um, if that explodes, people are going to be um, unhappy. Mm. Um, China has three very large volcanoes that could knock out their entire system of civilization. Mm. Um, so, if I mean, if the there's a lot of science behind the ocean and the pressure it puts on the tectonic plates, I don't want to get into right now, but mm. <laughs> it's very possible that large they're called mega quakes. I swear to God, they're called mega quakes could happen and these are things that have the really same energy as like a hundred million nuclear bombs it's insane like a hundred million nuclear bombs like totally is there anything else that you would like to say on this subject doctor no i think we've uh beat it to death (laughs) hopefully it doesn't rise again uh, thank you so much for being on the show and taking the helm essentially because i'm a space case cadet space in space um thank you it was my pleasure thank you awesome bring Bring your your own own popcorn. popcorn